What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott. And I'm Ben. And as always, we are here with our super producer, Noel the Knockoff Brown. Just kidding. He made a face at me. Noel the Knockoff. Oh, yeah. I like it. Well, no, I, I, this is just, uh, you know, apropos. There will be a different nickname next Well, how episode. about this? For the first part of this episode, let's call him uh, Fast Times. Ooh, Noel. even better, yeah. Noel Fast Times Brown. Because we have a special episode of Stuff Scott Sees that we're going to open the show with. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was in, uh, let's see, where was I? I was in Commerce, Georgia, uh-huh. uh, middle of July, mm-hmm. right in the dead middle of uh, July 15th, and I met up with uh, the Rally North America group and Glenn Beck, you know, Car Stuff listener Glenn Beck. The Glenn Beck. The Glenn Beck. And uh, I finally got to speak in person and shake hands and everything. It was really, it was, it was a fun, fun evening. I posted all this on Facebook, lots of photographs and all that, and uh you know, my initial meeting with Glenn and everything, it was it was amazing. It was a fun, fun evening. So many good people there. I met, uh, you know, Glenn, who's a super nice guy, by the way, and, of course, saw the Team Limer Mustang. I also met um, the uh, the Rally North America president and CEO. His name is Scott Spielman. He was a super nice guy as well. Um, took a lot of photographs. I got a ride down the drag strip yeah. in the Team Limer Mustang, the first run that he made of the night. And, uh, you know, because here's the way it worked. There's about 80 cars in the uh, in the rally, okay. and I think about half of them showed up for this event. This this it was kind of an evening thing after the rally, mm-hmm. so some of them stayed behind, you know, kind of uh, messing around. And I think they were in Athens, Georgia, so they were doing other things in Athens, you know, either staying at the hotel or just going around town. But uh, this one group of people, you know, these these 40 cars yeah. came to the Atlanta Dragway, and that's where I met Glenn and and Scott and everybody else. And uh, the first run of the night, you you could just line up uh, in the staging area and continually run as much as you wanted to against anybody else that you wanted to. You could line up however you wanted. Oh, that's cool. Um, it's really fun. It was a fun evening. It seemed like a lot of pony cars. There was a uh, was a 2015 Corvette Z06 there. Um, there was a uh, an Alfa Romeo 4C, which I had never seen in yeah. person before. That was an incredible car. Uh-huh. Um, just a little bit of everything. Lots of Challengers, lots of Mustangs, as you would imagine. Right. Um, I think there was even a Holden badged Chevy SS. Um, just it was a fun, fun evening and the cars are loud and fast and exactly everything you would, you could expect out of that type of car. It was so much fun because, uh, I hadn't been to a drag strip in a long, long time. Yeah. You remember? And, yeah. Oh man, it was just, it was great. So I, he offered to take me for a ride in this, uh, the first time. We didn't have to have a helmet on, which was kind of surprising to me, but <laughs> that's because, um, and this plays into a story just for a short story, I promise. We'll sure. Move on. Yeah, yeah. Um, something that, kind of funny that happened while we were there. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're getting along. Everything's fine. You know, it, we're having a good time. And uh, we, we get in the car. We do this one run, which is, uh, you know, we were racing against a Challenger, I think it was, in the, uh, in the other lane. And uh, he pulls something like a 14-second run. And that's like, that's pretty good. It's yeah, fast. It's uh, yeah. um, upwards of 100 miles an hour. Like, I'm going to guess 105, something like that. Uh-huh. So we're really moving. And I just met this guy 10 minutes before that, right? Yeah. You know, we know Glenn, though. Right, right. <laughs> We've talked to Glenn extensively. And uh, it's a it's a shame that I wasn't able to make it. But I, I felt okay as long as one of us was there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And I, I passed along uh, your well wishes to everybody. Oh, great. Uh, of Thank course. you. But I felt perfectly comfortable with the whole situation. It was really nice. He was a great guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, after we you know finished that one run, we didn't get a uh, time slip or anything. 
and there's a threshold for wearing a helmet. And he had said, you know, early on to the guy that I was staging the cars, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to run under 14, you know, this time, so don't worry about it. I think the threshold was like 13.9. If you're going to run a 13.9, you had to wear a helmet, and if you didn't, oh, you didn't I have see. to wear one. Yeah. So he said, no, don't worry about it, no problem. He had one available, but just one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we ran the 14, it was fine, we think. There were no time slips. <laughs> so I get out of the car and let him run a couple alone, you know, without sure. my my extra weight in the passenger seat. So he runs a couple, and I uh, I yell back to him at one point while he's in the staging area. I said, hey, Glenn, you know, I was all excited. I came over and I yelled to him, hey, Glenn, I think that last one was a 13-8. And right then I knew it because there was one of the guys, in the other the guy that was staging, he kind of turned around and looked at me. He's like, oh, that's pretty good, Glenn. Put on your helmet. <laughs> and, Glenn, and Glenn gave me, shot me the stare like, what did you do? And I was like, oh, man, I just blew it. I met this guy. 10 minutes ago, yeah. 15 minutes ago, and uh, and I've already made a huge error. Already snitching. Yeah, some kind of error. I, I felt like a fool, you know, for, <laughs> so he had to put it on the helmet, and he was actually running really fast, and a lot of the cars were running times, uh, you know, sub-14, so it's pretty quick yeah. out there. It was, it was yeah. a great evening. It was a lot of fun, and they raised a ton of money for their cause, the Hope for the Warriors cause. Mm-hmm. To date, I just checked it today, um, so far to date they've made, you know, because they're still accepting donations, one hundred and twenty thousand three hundred and forty three dollars, and that's out of the goal, which is one hundred and twenty five thousand. So they are on the cusp mm-hmm. of making the goal, and I think they're going to do it because, um, well, I mean, I donated here, and our company's going to match the, the donation. Yeah, and they were it. headed to Savannah at the time, so it's still continuing to. Yeah, sure, and I think they accept, you know, for another, I don't know how many weeks sure. or whatever afterwards, but. Man, what a fun evening that was. And just to get to meet Glenn, he was such a cool guy. Yeah. And this group of people, everybody involved with it was so much fun. Like, I, I just, uh, there's there's so much to say about it. It was a, just a great evening. It was a lot of fun. Our, uh, I mean, it's no surprise to me that all our listeners are cool. I'll be candid with you about that, Scott, mm-hmm. and with you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, one bit of uh, further information about Hope for Warriors. This is an organization that assist uh, returning veterans on multiple fronts, uh, for everything from education to uh, to assisting families, right, mm-hmm. to um, coordinating stuff with medical care. And it does so uh, as an accredited organization. Uh, so if you're looking for a cause to donate to, uh, you can't go wrong with this one. Yeah, I think you can still get to it on the Rally North America site some way. You might have to dig around a little yeah. bit at this point because they're past that rally right. and kind of on to the next one. But, uh, man, what a fun evening. I just yeah. – it's like – I think I wrote on the Facebook page, it's like a, a like a shot of adrenaline when you do mm-hmm. something like that. It's just a, just a blast. I mean, these guys yeah. were going to go to a road course the next day. We've got to we've got to somehow get ourselves on a rally like this, Ben. I mean, we do. If if you know, if we can do that through car stuff, wouldn't that be so much fun? Yeah. If we could have a team, we could do something like this. We could drive in events like this in a in a car that we uh you know maybe a rental car or something. I don't know. It'll <laughs> for be fun. A, for a while, we had uh, remember you and I have been kicking around the idea of racing uh, Josh and Chuck. <laughs> yes, we which, have. Which would be a great episode of something, uh, but. The uh, maybe the winner of the episode gets to go on their channel. <laughs> Absolutely, and you know what? I uh, I've got another near encounter with the car stuff listener that I'd like to talk about. Maybe in the next episode. Yeah, Is yeah. There, I mean, we're talking. We missed each other by like two hours, maybe at the most. Right. It, yeah. Maybe not even that. So um, I'll talk about that in the next episode. But man, it's fun when you really get out there and start doing a lot of stuff like that. I mean, I mean, we're getting more and more active with for sure. Uh, you know what the audience is doing as well. And I think it's, uh, yeah. it's great. Well, it's there's a lot of, um, and, and also we're, we're pretty fortunate to be in an area where we're a short drive from, uh, some fantastic things, you know? Uh, so the, uh, the one thing that we can definitely say about this rally, however, is that no matter how every car performed, you know, that those cars were all with po- the possible exception of the Holden, that these cars were all real, versions of the cars they purported to be oh absolutely and honestly the the holden badged car was really the i mean that's really what it is it was it's a holden car that's then badged as a chevy car yeah so they just converted it back anyways and one thing we can say about this rally that was uh inarguable is that none of these cars were counterfeit which brings us to today's episode oh definitely these cars were uh, the real deal yeah. And uh, that's what we're talking about today is cars that are not, not the, real the real deal. deal. Yeah, and, and you may initially think they're the real deal. Ah, uh, yeah, and that would be that would be the old question with any other forgery, you know. Uh, so 
Look, we have done a cut. We've done an earlier episode on Chinese car collections, and we talk about vehicles in other parts of the world. Uh, not all the time, but we, you know, we try to make our way around the globe. And this is not to disparage or pick on China, right? This this huge country, uh, home to so many ancient inventions, home to so many continuing innovations today. But China is known for a lot of reverse engineering and a lot of counterfeiting and knockoffs and, and, and everything from um, everything from unlicensed versions of books that don't exist in the U.S. to uh, candy to uh, other food. Oh, cigarettes, whiskey. Yeah. Um, soccer jerseys. I guess you call them football jerseys. There. Yeah. Clothing. Uh, yeah. Cl- clothing of all kinds. Purses, watches. Handbags. Um, a little yeah. bit of everything. And this is important. Cars. Yes, sir. Cars. You can go into the the country now, and this happened. Uh, this was really on on show uh, this year at the two hundred two thousand fifteen Shanghai Expo, right? Oh yes. Uh, the, you can go into China and you can find uh, a much less expensive version, uh, purporting to be a version of. Any car you want. Yes, exactly. And this was something that I think we should tell this up front is that this was something that we kind of investigated or dug into because of a listener of ours. Yes. Uh, his name is Stuart L. And Stuart wrote in and said, um, actually, it was a PS. And I think we read this one during our Nuts and Bolts podcast yeah. recently. Mm-hmm. He's it's... actually writing in about the U-Haul podcast. Yeah, um, and had uh, had some great points to make. Yeah, he mentioned, you know, the U-Haul podcast and said that, you know, he had known nothing of the history of it and didn't know that it was, you know, so... uh uh, tumultuous, I guess, you know, so, uh, so sordid in its history. That's <laughs> maybe a polite way to put it, I guess. Right. Yeah. There's um, some drama to the situation. Yeah. U-Haul was an interesting tale. I'll tell you that. Uh, but it, actually at the end of his, his mail here, his note here, Stuart writes, P.S. I was recently watching a Top Gear episode from a few years ago where they traveled to China to, to observe the massively growing car industry. And as an idea for a future podcast, I was wondering if you could cover the topic of cars made in China that are particularly identical looking to official auto brands like Audi, BMW, etc., but are created under a myriad of knockoff names. Ah, yes. Yeah, so that's a fantastic idea, Stuart. And um I think uh you know, after we had talked about the Chinese car collections, I had thought about the same type of thing and then it was almost right when this email popped mm-hmm. up is when we got the first email about the Chinese car collections. So yeah. we were thinking along the same lines, Stuart, and uh, I've been fascinated by this for many years. How could somebody possibly build a car that looks like a BMW, mm-hmm. has a badge that looks like a BMW badge, the same sure. crest, and and I mean everything, right down to the wheels, the the the, the interior design, maybe. the interior looks the same. Yeah. Um, how can they build that without some sort of legal ramifications? How can they how can they build that without expecting to be hauled into court immediately and having to cease build that cease building that vehicle? Right. Uh, we know that this is a continuing conversation in the international sphere uh, between a lot of Western countries and uh, China itself. And we're going to give you the answer. Right. And we'll, yeah. give it, we'll get to that. We but, have an answer. But let's talk about the knockoff cars in general, I guess, at first, because okay. I think it is important to understand that it, this isn't like buying a purse or a watch or something like that. Right. Not, I mean, now there's a, there's a, an inherent danger of buying something like uh, we mentioned some of the foods uh, you know, like even even cigarettes and whiskey and things like that. Some of those have proven to be well, the whiskey. I think that um, you know the way they mix that, yeah, or what they mix it with can be lethal um, in some situations. It can Not be always, but it can yeah. be. It can be. Now, you buy a car that you think looks like a BMW, and you expect to have uh, BMW safety and security and all that, and all the features that a BMW would normally have. Yeah, uh, the Chinese version of that car will not have all the safety standards in place that, that BMW does have, or Mercedes-Benz, or Audi, or any of the, the big manufacturers right. that they're copying. Yeah. So that's the problem. These cars, instead of, let's say that, you know, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, make this up, Ben, but let's say that the BMW X5 uh, gets a five-star rating. I don't know if it does. I'm, I'm assuming that it does, probably, mm-hmm. uh, for crash ratings, crash and safety. But the Chinese version of that car would get, you know, between zero or two stars, maybe at the most. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. 
Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Right, right, because it's not just... uh crash testing safety regulations, we also have to consider uh, the performance of the engine to the point where it itself could possibly be dangerous. Oh, yeah, the engine. Now that, okay, we're, we will get to a car here that is going to astound you with what they have put under the hood of this vehicle. Um, it, it's, a, it's a knockoff that, to me, is particularly offensive, I guess. Um, <laughs> in, 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 you'll understand when we get to it, and we, we should talk about it, you know, soon yeah. here, but um, the, I guess the overall or the underlying idea here is that the, the quality is not there. And of course, along with that, um, you know, as I mentioned, the safety is not there. So it may have a, an appearance of, you know, the, the, uh, the solid built vehicle that you expect sure. out, of, out of Germany or out of, um, a lot of, you know, the UK somewhere, you know, wherever it happens to be yeah, built. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to have the, um, the backing, I guess. It's not going to uh, have quite the structure behind it that you would think that you, that it would. And uh, let's let's make a further point here. It's an important one to make a distinguish uh, distinguishing factor, right? So the the term knockoff sounds pretty derogatory. It sounds like we're you know poo pooing uh, these these different companies. But I would argue there is a difference between uh, a complete counterfeit car, right, and a knockoff car. Okay. See, I was going to say that we could use these terms interchangeably. Mm-hmm. Now, you're saying that there may be a difference there. I'm saying I, I think you can say knockoff. I think you can say counterfeit. I think you can say fake. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just say it, it seems like it seems like those terms all are interchangeable to me. Now, you, you're saying that well, um, be, a counterfeit is different than a knockoff? Well, because a, a counterfeit would, in one example, let's say there's a um, let's say there's something that is branded and fake badged as a Ford F-150, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, or there's something that's uh, branded and fake badged as uh, a Range Rover, okay. right? Yeah. That is, sell, you know, that's that's uh, selling something that is entirely counterfeit. So but in- Intentionally deceptive. Intentional, well, I, okay, okay. It's a small distinction, Scott. Because I think they're intentionally deceptive anyway. Yeah, but the legal difference... Granted, the legal difference, which is a little, you know, is nuanced, is uh, that they there are the uh, cars that have different names made by companies 
that clearly have like modeled the thing, but they're not selling it as a Range Rover. Okay. They're not selling it as a Ford F-150. I, I see. And then also, uh, just, just for the listeners, bear with us as we walk through, uh, the Mandarin language here. That's <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I'll, I'll do my best as you can imagine. Uh, my Mandarin, Ben, is, uh, is nowhere near where your Mandarin Oh no, my Mandarin left town, buddy. <laughs> so what you're saying, Ben, is uh, instead of having a Range Rover, you get something called the Landwind, and it's badged as the Landwind. But I mean, if you were just to see it as you were, you know, walking down the street, you would, right. you, without looking twice at it, you would think that it's the Land Rover. And you yeah. know what? And, and as a matter of fact, you could probably look at it twice and still think it's the Land Rover because it has an identical appearance, unless you're reading the badge. And then even then you might think like, no, I didn't see that right. It's a, it, that's a Land Rover. So you think that, you think that the difference I'm talking about is not, not big enough to, uh, to separate the two into well, different classes. Okay. So what do you do though with a vehicle that does have the BMW crest on it? You know, the, the, uh, the shield, I guess, you know, the blue and white shield. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you do with a vehicle that has that? But you know, the, the numbers aren't right. You know, the, the, uh, so it's not the, um, you know, the 335 edition. Yeah. It's, you know, whatever they call it. And I've got, you know, probably an example here of a, got a, a BMW, I'm yeah. sure. Um, I've got a long list of, of the knockoffs and their, their, uh, their counterpart. Yeah. Okay. So here, instead of a BMW X1, uh, it's called the Brilliance V5, uh-huh. um, which, but it looks identical. I like mean, the, and it has, yeah. has the badges and everything. Like, uh, it, it reminds me of the stuff that happens in fashion all the time with like, uh, buying a pair of Reboots. <laughs> or, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know, Mikey's. I, I know a genuine sew me when I see one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I've got a, uh, I've got some, uh, cool, cool examples of this that maybe we could just walk through quickly to give yeah. people a comparison. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, uh, you have what, we'll, what we can do is I can, uh, name, we can do it two ways, Scott. We can either give the, the Chinese, version and then the vehicle it's modeled after mm-hmm. or we can flip it and do here's the here's the real version here's the knockoff version. About dealer's choice you do what you like all right well if you are familiar with the chevy colorado then uh the hong hai plutus might be <laughs> just the thing you need okay wait hong, okay hong hai. okay when you say that word now that's one that i wanted to bring up in particular now i plutus i'm sure no the hong hai oh I've, okay so yeah. so hong hai now to me th- this word is h-o-n-g hong right uh i think it'd be huang huang okay so you're blowing my my uh well, theory out of water here so I was, yeah. here's here's what i'm thinking sitting at my desk while i'm getting okay ready for this. yeah yeah h-o-n-g is hong right q-u-i that's key right uh so it's the is this the honky <laughs> is this the honky? So, so instead of the Range Rover, you get the, the honky no, LS5? No, no. I mean, no. I could say that, you know. <laughs> That's what I was thinking all along. So you're saying Hong Hwai, and you're probably right. So, so again, the Mandarin, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little off. Well, it's a, it's a tonal language, and, uh. I might stick with honky. You might, yeah, you could, you could be driving a honky. <laughs> Fair enough. But there's, there's, you know, there's countless examples of these. Do you want to just kind of laundry list them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do you have specifics about how they've imitated these vehicles? Because when you get down to like the nuts and bolts of the thing, that's where there's dramatic differences. And that's, that's, you know, one of the vehicles that I want to talk about is, is uh, is the Plutus. No, no, no. There's there's an even more, um, just, just a horrible example of, uh, of an, oh, which uh, one is it? Knockoff. This is, this is the, um, there's one called the Nats GTK, N-A-T-S GTK, and it's a knockoff of the Nissan GTR. Yeah. And, okay, so you may look at this and think, okay, initially the body work, it sort of looks like the Nissan GTR. I mean, it's got the same style, but the proportions are just a little bit off. The bumpers don't quite sit exactly right. There's There's something just a little bit different about it. It's not exactly... Exactly like the GTR, but if you were just to get, again to just glance at it, you would say that's Nissan GTR. Uh huh. The problem with this, Ben, and this is exactly what we're talking about with all these cars, really. Underneath this car is really a Suzuki Cappuccino, <laughs> and you can imagine what this has. Now, the, the Suzuki Cappuccino has an end. Now we know we know all about the GTR. We had a whole episode about the GTR and how. I mean, right. this is like a world class supercar, really. Yeah, it's an amazing car, unbelievable. This one has a point. 657 liter inline three engine underneath. So we're, we're talking close to a half liter engine. Yeah. Underneath. Now, now, okay, here it's, it is, 
It is turboed. It is. It does have an intercooler, and it does have bigger brakes and coilovers. However, we're still talking about a half cylinder, or rather half liter, engine under the hood of this car that's supposed to look like a GTR. So, what do you think happens when you get to the stoplight and someone is kind of revving their engine next to you? Um, you've got you've got, you got the show, nothing. You got the show, but no go. Right? Yeah, and, you got the style, but not the substance. And honestly, the style is a little bit off. It's almost like when you see a kit car. And it's it, there's just something just not right about it. Well, that's the same thing with the Nats GTK. So, yeah. so take a look at that and tell me what you think. You know, listeners, I'd love to hear it because it's a, it's a fairly decent representation of it. But uh, again, it's like the kit car version of it almost is what it looks like. Right. Uh, and we also have this. I, I think there's a the, there's a great article on Jalopnik. Uh, about the most embarrassingly obvious knockoffs. Did you see that one? <laughs> well, you know they've got a bunch of them. So you have yeah. embarrassingly obvious, and then I've got one that's the greatest knockoff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so it's a, a whole bunch of these because there's so many of these out there now. So what what have you got, Ben? Uh, well, there's one the uh, Dong Fang Crazy Soldier. <laughs> it's that which, <laughs> I did see that one, which yeah. is uh, for for somebody who has you know Hummer taste but not a Hummer wallet, and uh, and this. <laughs> Uh, so this is like the Hummer H1, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. or it's also known the, it's also called the EQ2050. Um, but it's still, yeah, it's the same thing. Looks like an H1. It does have a turbo diesel option, however. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from what I, from what I understand, the big draw is that you can also get a gun turret. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, but again, it doesn't have any of the, uh, the off-road capability, probably. Of uh, of the true Hummer H1, or it doesn't have you know the uh, central tire inflation, or all the right. all the bells and whistles that the real Hummer H1 had, that they can't. And here's the reason they they don't put them in because they want the cost to be low. They want to sell their product for much cheaper than the original. So that's the goal here is that you can you can offer a knockoff that is sometimes less than fifty percent of the price of the original. Yeah, and that's very tempting to people. But then you start to really look at the, uh, you know, what you're investing in, and, there, and yeah, in the potential for something to go wrong, and uh, then you might say, well, I'm probably better off just buying the brand name version of this particular product. You know, what's interesting though about the the crazy soldier in particular is crazy that yeah, is that it is a uh, it's me- it's popular with China's security services. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a reverse engineered H1, or that's what we would call it, uh, and it's part of. China's larger project to uh, modernize the the Chinese army. So you know that's why there's also a um, a carrier, uh, an aircraft carrier being being refurbished and improved. But these uh, these crazy soldiers, because they are um, because they are required for military service, are probably going to be better performers than. Other knockoffs, but it is it is a clone of the H one. So the one you get for the street, you know, so for the personal use, wouldn't be quite the one that the military would use. Now the right. military, I've got to say that you know, if you see a bunch of these lined up, that's an intimidating look because they are. Yeah, it is an intimidating looking vehicle. It really is. I mean, it looks like a Hummer H one uh, with subtle differences, and at least it actually has a V eight engine. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and you know what? All, you know, as we've talked about with the uh, the GTK, you know, it's nothing nothing like that for the other cars. There's also the Cherry QQ. And that's a direct knockoff of the Chevrolet Spark. Um, there's the DFSK Load Hopper Window Van, which uh, that sounds kind of funny, the Load Hopper Window Van. Um, but that knocks off the BMW 3 Series, believe it or not. Now, that's kind of strange to see of a van like that. But if you look at the Load Hopper Window Van, you'll understand what I mean. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about the uh, Geely Roller? <laughs> you know what? Okay, is this, am I mistaken? Is this the, uh, is this the Rolls-Royce? You are correct, sir. Okay, so here's the deal with the Rolls Royce. That's a uh, Rolls Royce Phantom is what it's imitating, right? Right. It's a 250,000 pound vehicle. That's how much it costs. Um, 250,000 pounds. Right, I don't know right. what that converts to U.S. dollars, but um, they offer the the Geely Road uh, Roller rather for thirty thousand pounds, I believe it is. Uh huh. So that's two hundred twenty thousand pounds less than the uh, than the. Rolls Royce. Now, what do you expect to get for two hundred twenty thousand dollars less? Because uh, because Rolls Royce is intended as a well, they're not intended, but they're they're, uh, they're founded on the the principle that they're also a fantastic engine builder. Right. They they build um, they, they build, build aircraft engines. Yeah, exactly, and, exactly. Uh, engines for large ships. Incredible you know. engines. Yeah, amazing engines. 
you're not going to get that in the, in the Geely roller. Right? Yeah, I hate to say it. But, but what do you what do you think of the the styling of it though? Because to look at it, it looks it sure looks like a Rolls Royce, doesn't it? The styling of it looks like a Rolls Royce for sure, and it's completely purposeful, and it makes you want to rethink the distinction I was making between a knockoff versus counterfeit. Because just like you pointed out, uh, the Geely itself is. Is so identical. Now you called it the roller. I've also seen it called the GE or G. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't know which one it goes by, but roller seems to make more sense to me because that's closer to Rolls Royce, right? Yeah, for sure. It's closer to, uh, Rolls Royce. I, you know, I feel like we can spend some time kicking around these, these various knockoff cars, but obviously listeners, yeah, you know, you get you get the picture, and you can you can find pictures of these cars side by side with the real thing. Oh, it's kind of fun to do that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and I just see exactly what you think because some of them have the the back end of one vehicle, the front end of another uh-huh. vehicle. Yeah, you know, like the back end of a of a BMW, the front of a Mercedes, the side of a Nissan, or something like that. It's amazing what you see when you when you start looking at these cars. Um, can we can we take just a moment to talk about someone who? has been kind of instrumental here in the United States in bringing in cars. Now, Ben, we don't have, like, the experience of, with Chinese cars like they have over in the U.K. Sure. Because uh, they are able to, or they they do import Chinese cars, and they, they, I don't know if they trade back and forth or not. I think that the the, the Chinese cars just come in. I don't know if they export <laughs> but I'm sure there are people buying Aston Martins, though. It's a, it's a prestigious mark. You know what? You're probably right. I bet they do. Um, so, But we don't have those here in the United States, so we have almost no experience with them other than, you know, watching some miserable crash tests that they sometimes take these cars, you know, right. and uh, they just pulverize them, um, you know, a 35 mile an hour sp- uh, crash or something that just destroys the car. So, you know, again, zero stars on a lot of these for, for safety. Um, but there's a guy that I would like to talk about who is, um, he's an auto industry entrepreneur and he's the only, he has the distinction of being the only automobile entrepreneur to import five automobiles into the United States. This one guy. His name is Malcolm Bricklin. And Malcolm Bricklin, if you remember, he had his own vehicle at one point, but that's not the first thing that he did. Uh, back in 1968, he was responsible for bringing the very first Subaru into the United States. Yeah. Subaru yeah. was not a brand that we had here. That's a Japanese make. And he brought in the 1968 Subaru 360, which was an incredible vehicle. And I kind of think he got it in, on, in on a loophole because it weighed under a thousand pounds and it didn't adhere to uh, some of the regulations at the time or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was under 1,000 pounds, very small car, rear engine, two-door. It was a city car, under $1,300, brand new, and it got 66 miles to the gallon. So that's not a difficult sell uh, if you think about when that was coming in, around 1968. Right, and to, yeah, as, as gas prices are hitting crisis levels. Well, right? probably sold better in 1971 or something like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. In 1968, I think we were still in the, uh, you know, giant V8s were still King at that point, and he also uh, he also started Subaru of America, which was the first uh, independent importer to own distribution rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also, you know, he had a lot of foresight when he thought these these uh, thrifty uh, cars that you know thrifty in terms of both mileage and entry price yeah. uh, could be huge in a place where people would be paying uh, much more money. For an entry-level American-made car, you sound like you're leading up to something, Ben. Is there a particular make that you would uh, like to highlight, maybe that uh, that Mr. Malcolm Bricklin was responsible for bringing to the United States, Ben? I'm talking about the Subaru Star. Oh no, that's not the one I was oh, thinking wait. of. Uh, he's one? got a, he's got a few, and I, that's not the one I thought you were you building to. Oh, oh well, it's kind of a it's. Let's oh, just you're talking about the one. 360 Mini car. Oh no, you're oh, talking we different just make. About that. Oh, different make altogether. Mm. It's okay. I can I can uh, tell you at the end. You'll oh, be surprised. Are you talking about? Oh, now I don't want to guess and actually mess up one of the spoilers because <laughs> I have I have a list as well here. That's okay. I, well, I tell you what. All right, let's just do a drum roll. Okay, the drum roll for the big one, I guess, because there's three others I want to mention. Mm-hmm. The drum roll for the big one, please. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. 
If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You go. He brought in Yugo. Oh, man, I was still messing around with Subaru. Oh, I didn't okay. know we were I, going straight to Yugo. I cheated. <laughs> I, went, I went ahead to the end of the list, but he is responsible. He's, this is the guy that brought Yugo to the United yeah, States. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a company that is surprise, surprisingly continued to build vehicles until 2008. But this one was a little bit different because he had to make uh, hundreds of changes in the Yugo sure. to uh, keep it um Keep it competitive, right? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I, I jumped around a little bit because that was, uh, when is that, late 70s, early 80s, something like that, uh-huh. just off the top of my head. He also was responsible for bringing in um, uh, Bertone and Pininfarina. And that's two Italian coach builders. So, you know, they've got their own, uh, you know, situation with what they have to do with, the, you know, like changes to bring the car into the United right. States. And then he had his own vehicle. Remember, he built his own custom-built safety car. He's what he called it. Uh-huh. Uh, the Bricklin <laughs> SV1. Yeah, for uh, general vehicles, yeah. <laughs> whatever the name was. Yeah, I mean, it was a Canadian-built car for the U.S. market from about 1974 to 1976. Um, so this guy, he he's responsible for quite a bit. Um, I, I thought he was an interesting guy to bring into this because he was uh, he was really heavy on the trail of, of bringing that Cherry brand into the United States not mm-hmm. long ago. And I don't know if that fight is still ongoing or not, but mm-hmm. he really, really wanted to bring him in. And I thought that the initial launch of the cherry brand was going to be out west somewhere maybe in las vegas even you know uh a lot of people however are not fans of him for for these uh for these imports uh i i would say okay i've got i've got a couple things i know we're jumping around but i want to respond to them i i would say that the yugo was voted car talk's worst car of the millennium and those hundreds of changes that bricklin and his engineers suggested did, obviously didn't uh, save the Yugo's reputation. They did nothing for the quality. And I know that there are some people who are fans of Yugo's in an unironic way, but, uh, but you know, the, the fact of the matter is that this was a tremendously unpopular car, and some people resented him a little for doing it. Other people saw this as taking business away from U.S. automakers. Uh, but the next thing is that the Bricklin has uh, had some really neat, works like you read about how it was delivered to customers without paint sure uh that that's so strange to me like the uh that it would have this safety color as well was called molded into the acrylic body yeah, yeah it was a yeah. uh, yeah, it was molded into the body so it, when you say no paint it, most, most people are probably thinking like well it's a bare metal car no 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 it no. wasn't that way at all it was uh, the, the the body itself was colored whatever the whatever it was formed as 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I said that the right way or not, but um, they had that, like a vacuum forming process. It had a, it, put did, acrylic on the fiberglass. Did it have gull wing doors or it had some unusual yeah, doors? Yeah, it had gull wing doors. Gull wing doors. It had, um, I think there were a couple of different engine options at one point. Um, it was just a, you could get an automatic, you'd get a manual. Um, it had a kind of a neat look to it. It was a, uh, you know, I guess an early sports car look. I mean, it looked like, um, oh, I don't know, like, you know, the old laser kit cars look kind of that way. Yeah, uh, similar to that's that. Fair. I, I've seen one or two of these in a museum. I think I saw one <laughs> strange place. I saw it in the Auburn Cord Duesenberg Museum in Auburn, Indiana, uh, like 20 years ago, maybe oh, yeah. 25 years ago. Uh, but it was a strange place to see one, but they have one there. And I think it was orange, as a matter of fact. Um, so they had orange and they had green, they had blue, uh, some of these bright, bright colors. Um, just a, an interesting car. If you get a chance to dig into the uh, Brickland SV1, take a look at it. You know, just if for nothing else, just look at the photos of it because it's a, it's an interesting little bit of American history. Yeah, car and driver actually called it uh, a tangible threat to the Corvette. Yeah, I should say a, a little bit of uh, American and Canadian history because it was Canadian built for us. But yeah, um, but yeah, a threat to the Corvette. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> it's a bit anemic compared to the uh, compared to the Corvette. Well, for sure. I think they were they were also sort of projecting. Or imagining what would happen to this vehicle when they had successive generations. Well, you know, also 1974 to 1976, I think the Corvette was a bit anemic itself with the, uh, <laughs> with the, you know, the, all the, um, emissions restrictions that were on that engine at that mm-hmm. point. So, um, it could be that it was a competitor, a true competitor at that point. Um, I did see this car. I saw this car given away one time on, and you can find this clip on YouTube. If you watch, um, all the show, let's make a deal. Mm-hmm. They had, they gave away a Brickland, or they uh, they attempted to. I don't remember if it was actually won by the contestant or not, but that's that crazy game show where people dress up and have costumes on, and they can you know either go for what's behind curtain number one, curtain number two, or three. And yeah, uh, uh, the car that they gave away or they attempted to give away was a Brickland, and the crowd went, they were just stunned by it. I mean, they'd never seen anything like that. It was it's a it's an interesting clip to watch. So on on YouTube, you can find that somewhere. Uh, and also, while you're watching stuff, if you'd like to learn more about Malcolm Brickland, you can check out the documentary The Entrepreneur. Uh, his son, Jonathan, made the film, and it, so it's, it's about his dad traveling the world, uh, trying to get a contract uh, with a manufacturing plant to offer, uh, to offer a lower-priced car. And, so. you know, I mentioned uh, Cherry, right? Cherry, right. Cherry, Cherry Automobiles. Uh, yeah, Cherry Automobiles. That's a Chinese auto manufacturer, and uh, they've... They've got a little bit of added credibility to the name right now because they opened a, a joint venture, a 50-50 joint venture between um, the U.K. headquarter Jaguar and Land Rover, which right now is a subsidiary of uh, the Indian company Tata Motors, right? Uh-huh. Yep. So, the, so, uh, the makers of the Tata Nano, longtime listeners yeah. may remember that. <laughs> One of your favorites, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, man, yeah. the car that was uh, – oh, I wasn't even cheap enough for it. <laughs> so – all right, so so all these three combined, so Cherry, Jaguar, Land Rover, they've all they've all formed this uh, this joint venture, and um, they this allows production of Jaguar cars and Land Rover vehicles in mainland China. So uh, there there is a bit of credibility to that Cherry name now in China with the actual brand. It's not right. that, you know they're rebranding as that. Uh, that's all part of the deal now. So I figured I'd just mention that because uh, that that kind of helps a little bit, I guess. And I like I'd like to point out that uh, eventually. This is in, in just a term, terms of raw numbers. Eventually, this is where a lot of the world's auto markets are going to head or auto manufacturers rather, because this market expands at, uh, such a, such a quick rate as soon as people are moving into the middle class, as soon as people are able to afford the first family car, demand is going to continue to rise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, th- I think that's exactly what's going to happen. So when yeah. they move away from scooters and mopeds and motorcycles mm-hmm. into an automobile, mm-hmm. uh, this is this is what they're going to go for is these uh, these lower end vehicles, and then eventually move up to you know the bigger sedans and then, sure. you know, luxury cars. And that's just the way it progresses. And there's still uh, you know in our previous episode we talked about how uh, wealthier Chinese citizens are already aggressively lobbying the government just to be able to import classic cars. Yeah, and exotics. And exotics, and exotics. Let's not make a mistake there. Plenty of people there that are importing exotics. I guess it's a giant, uh, booming uh, market right now for for exotic automobiles. So speaking of the 
legalese and the legality uh-huh. of these things, I think it's time for us to answer the question, what gives? How can people make these knockoffs? Isn't this several kinds of illegal? Well, this was answered in a, uh, a, a specific article in the Daily Mail very recently. And as far as, um, you know, the, the legality of this whole thing in December of 2014 in the Daily Mail from the UK, uh, they wrote just about this. And it was particularly about British brands being knocked off, uh, mm-hmm. you know, being being counterfeited or, or uh, faked um, because <laughs> there was some outrage at the time, I believe it was in November. Uh, when we, the, you know, one of the examples we talked about when the land wind came out, uh, it, that was a direct imitation of the land rover. Right. For much, much less, a fraction of the price. Um, so they were saying, well, these British brands are being copied in China. You know, what gives? How can they do this? You know, is, isn't this a, uh, a breach of international regulations in some way? You know, you can't just dead copy something like that and not expect any kind of legal ramifications from this. And, right. And, I guess the the argument is that you know the design is intellectual property that's owned by the 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 company that that first puts it out into the marketplace. You know, like so it would be uh, Jaguar Land Rover that first put out the um, you know the the Range Rover that we're talking about, and for uh, the the other company to, to just build this this Landwind vehicle that is a direct copy right, of that. Yeah. How can they do that? I mean, it's it's just not something that should be possible. You know, for Again, half the price, or maybe even less than half the price, mm-hmm. um, because it, it does hurt the market. It hurts, it hurts sure. you know, Jaguar Land Rover. So here's how they get around it, and this is uh, th- this will leave you with a lot of uh, like open eyes and, and drop jaws. I would hope. <laughs> I'm going to read just a little bit about this, but it comes down to patent protection issues uh, because they're just blatantly ripping off these designs. But I'm going to read a little bit from this article, and you'll understand. Um, it says the problem lies in the thorny issue of patent protection. In the West, investors and designers have, have been protected by patents for hundreds of years, and we all understand that we cannot just copy a product and then sell it. But in China, a still, which is still emerging from uh, you know the, the shackles of communism, the notion of intellectual property, which includes copyright and patent, is still a relative, no, relative novelty. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how you can call copyright and patent a, a novelty. Re- but, relative but I, novelty. But I guess it is. It says, when you register a design... Um, patent in, say, like the U.K. or the United States, you have to show that your design is novel, that it's brand new. Right. He says, so the patent um, examiner then gives your application a thorough examination, and they check to make sure that nothing is close to that or nothing. You're not duplicating someone else's design, right? Yeah. So um, in China, <laughs> they don't do that at all. All they do is basically check that you filled out the forms correctly. <laughs> That's it. I mean, and so, you know, these Chinese uh, motor manufacturers can register the designs in China of designs that aren't even really out yet in uh, in Western cars, so you know, as if they were their own. And to make matters worse, and this is where they say things get really silly, the Chinese firms are then able to sue Western manufacturers when their original cars appear on the market in China. Oh, so can you believe what? that? So they, they see a design, mm-hmm. they knock it off, they make a counterfeit of it, it's, sure. it's, it's built, then the original appears in China, you know, it's imported into China, they can sue the manufacturers of the original product so, and say that, that that they're copying their copy. So in this uh, in this instance, the comparison would be a counterfeiter suing the federal mint. Yes, yes, exactly right. That's exactly what you're saying. And 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 they say that things even get more absurd. You know, when uh, manufacturers like Jaguar, Land Rover can uh, can register the designs with the Chinese patent office. So you think that would protect them, right? However, it makes very little difference. Under Chinese law, it's almost impossible for a Western firm to pr- to prove to a Chinese court uh, that um, you know that, that a Chinese manufacturer has infringed on their patent. Hmm. It's almost impossible. They say that there's like this this big home court advantage for the Chinese auto manufacturers, and they won't see it any other way. Hmm. And it's not just China either, because I remember reading a story about the uh, the BMW, and I've got a note here. In just a second, I will get it. it but it's about um, a court case that recently happened with the uh, the X5, and there was a blatant knockoff of the X5. That uh, this is one that I was telling you about before. That has, um, you know, basically it's an, a BMW X5 back end, and the front end is almost identical to the Mercedes Benz line of vehicles. Uh huh. Yeah. And um, this now this is an Italian court. Uh, an Italian court rejected BMW's claims. You know that this is a, a direct clone, and I, I cannot believe this. And when you look at this car, you would you would say, yeah, that's clearly a knockoff. There's got to be some kind of you know copyright infringement going on there. But it's the exact same thing. It's just mm. that 
they can't win. They just can't get it. They can say, well, we don't think that that's, uh, that was the intended purpose at all in this. Uh, we, don't, <laughs> we don't see the similarity. And you can't, you can't argue your side that you, you can't see that. They line up almost exactly, and they'll say, no, we don't no, see it. No, no, we don't see it. No, but the idea is that, you know, for – I think that the idea is that, you know, if the if a general citizen, if, you know, just somebody on the street were to sure. look at the vehicle and say that that is a uh, BMW X5, but it's not, I would say that that is a case that could be taken to court and say, yeah, this is a, this is a, a copyright or a patent infringement. Um, but, again, this home court advantage plays in their favor. But as we see, I mean, the Italian court ruled in favor of the Chinese manufacturer instead of uh, BMW in this case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so – I don't quite get what's going on here. I mean, it's it's really difficult to uh, kind of piece this all together because how in the world are you supposed to ever get anything past this this copyright infringement law? I mean, because well, it's not it's not supposed to. Uh, it's not so. It's part of a, a process, I argue, of building a solid domestic market in terms of manufacturing and consumer base. The this kind of uh, legal obstacle raising exists and is doing exactly what it's supposed to do, which is to put foreign manufacturers at a tremendous disadvantage. Yeah. That's just, I, I, that's what I believe. Okay. I see that. And so maybe when, uh, when the manufacturers start working with the Chinese manufacturers, right. that's when things will begin to ease up for them a bit. But I mean, a, again, this, this article was in particular about the, uh, the British brands that were being knocked off, but there's, uh, countless uh, brands from all around sure, the world really yeah. are being knocked off, and everything that we talked about—not just automobiles, but uh, you know, purses and cigarettes and whiskey and, mm-hmm. and watches and all that stuff—and you know, the temptation is great. The temptation is is really strong for people to buy a knockoff product, but I mean, the question is really, should you? Yeah, I've been I've been seeing you uh, smoking uh, no ports. <laughs> And drinking, uh, Jake Daniels. Yeah, this is a genuine Romex watch. <laughs> well, we hope that, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed checking out this episode. Uh, we're going to head off, uh, and probably still just for fun, look up some various knockoff cars. For sure. Uh, let us know if you've seen some great examples. Well, some of the most egregious examples. You should just come in with some of like the uh, the most extreme versions of that. Yeah. Because, uh, or you know, like the one there's a there's a Porsche Cayman lookalike that is an electric car, and come on, I mean it's not <laughs> anything like it at all. I mean it, it looks identical. Even the badge looks like a Porsche badge on this thing. Yeah. Bonus points for under the hood pictures too. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we are Car Stuff HSW. Uh, Noel again, sorry about the the knockoff nickname there. And uh, you can write to us directly. Uh, all of our best ideas come from listener suggestions. Our email address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fairs. Discover more at Viking.com. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit Slack.com to get started.